0: Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000.
1: Chicago's new home of the White Sox.
2: White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got you for the next hour. we got some hot White Sox conversation coming your way. Our producer is Tyler Aki, who I just scared to death asking him what song this was coming out of the show. I was like, hey, tell what? I don't know what song this is. What is this? And then he, like a good producer, freaked out because he thought I was saying, like, oh, it's not playing or not working or something like that. So we're off to a great start. Heart attacks all around. Tyler, you good? You fine? I'm all good. Good, all good here. You're going to be featured in the first segment of the show. By the way, all right. We should probably have planned some of this. Uh, I'll get to you in a second. Lots to do on the show this morning. I'm actually I'm pretty pumped about this morning's show. You can probably hear it, Uh, and here's why. Ethan Katz was hired as the White Sox pitching coach a handful of weeks ago, probably months. I haven't had a chance to talk with him um, mostly because I've just been brought on here at ESPN 1000 to do White Sox Weekly and a whole bunch of other stuff. I talked to him yesterday. We used the technology we have at the station to record that audio into digital format, and we'll be bringing it to you at 9.35. You're going to hear from White Sox pitching coach Ethan Katz. Very excited about it. Cool conversation. Touched on a lot of things that have been going on with the White Sox. And there are, like, this is this is kind of a crazy show. We're three Saturdays. This one, the next one, the one after that, from the opening of spring training. White Sox get the Brewers on the 27th. That is on the schedule right now. I know we live during a pandemic and everything, and there's a whole bunch of different stuff going back and forth. I don't have anything concrete, No, not as anybody else. But as it stands right now, it looks like we're going to have spring training games and broadcasts and everything at some point. Probably just won't be fans. Still, baseball is, is good. More baseball is better, and that's what we'll get in just a couple of weeks. Uh, so I talked with Ethan about a couple of things uh, there. The White Sox have have made some moves, too. They've brought in a couple of names that I think are worth noting. We'll get to some of those. We'll talk about the Twins. They have answered. The gauntlet was thrown down by the White Sox, trading for Lance Lynn, signing Liam Hendricks, bringing in Adam Eaton, all the stuff that they've done, uh, and the core that they have already is the gauntlet in the AL Central. Well, the Twins have answered, they have answered with vigor, and uh, it's going to be a very tight race, I think, throughout the season. We'll talk about what some of the things uh, the Twins have done, has done to the division as well. And I have news for you, White Sox fans. And this is the cool stuff, the really cool stuff. Len and DJ are on Twitter now. I mean, they're on Twitter themselves, but now we've got a brand new White Sox Twitter handle for you to follow. We're going to put all of the ESPN 1000 White Sox content on this Twitter handle. Len and DJ are going to tweet from this thing. I will too. But mostly, you know, Len and DJ. It's awesome. Go follow it. It's at ESPN White Sox. Really couldn't be simpler. I've retweeted um, some stuff from there a couple of times. So if you're following me already... Appreciate it. A thousand fold. C1 McKnight. You can go follow at ESPN White Sox. That is your Twitter hub for all of the White Sox content, all the news about the broadcast, all the guests that we're going to have on White Sox Weekly, all the cool stuff that we're going to do with the in-game product. It's This is your spot at ESPN White Sox. So. Here's where I kind of want to start the show today. Obviously, White Sox Weekly is yours almost all of the time. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. You want to talk White Sox, this is your place. We are going to talk with Ethan Katz at 935 and I've got a little audio from Chris Getz of uh, newly promoted Chris Getz now assistant general manager and player development guy. Uh, congratulations to Getsy on his promotion. You're going to hear a couple of things from him on Andrew Vaughn, on Garrett Crochet a little bit later in the show. He had some news about where uh, where some of the younger players might have their assignments to start the season, but mostly on the expectations. The major league expectations for Andrew Vaughn and for Garrett Crochet. The Sox have added three names. Carlos Rodon is back on a one-year deal. Jerry Nairn is going to be the catching instructor at the major league level. We'll get into this a little bit, uh, a little bit later here, but that is a big addition for a whole host of reasons. And I'll tell you why. Jonathan Lucroy is reportedly going to be added on a minor league deal with an invite to spring training, too. So, uh, we'll, we'll touch on some of those. The twins moves, in case you've missed them, Andrew Flynn Simmons was brought on board by the twins, a couple of weeks ago. He's got the one year contract. Alex Colomby. Former White Sox closer, now a current Twins back-end bullpen guy. He's been signed to something like, I think it was six and a quarter for one year, and their fearsome righty, Nelson Cruz, is back in the Twins' fold. I know that's bad news for the Central. The man is 40 years old. He'll be playing at 41 come June or July. Nelson Cruz is an amazing story, just not one that I know a lot of White Sox fans wanted to hear about in the division for another year. More baseball news. And this is, Tyler, this is where I need your help. I think everybody saw that Trevor Bauer has now signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's a crazy contract. I mean, in, not like crazy, insane, but like innovative. It's got 40 million up front and then 45 in the second year and then a whole bunch of options and changes and whatnot. David Price, who is on the Dodgers, just when the news broke, tweeted three emojis. And I'm just, you know, so that we have our finger on the baseball pulse here on White Sox Weekly, I need the name of the emoji. It's the it's the wide eyed face thing, right? It's the it's the like the stunned face. It's like the whole man face. Yeah, it's like, uh, we it's like blushing a little is it bit? blushing. Yeah, it's like a surprise, but also it's not like a bad surprise. It's not a bad se, surprise, right. but it's like, oh, man, yeah. this is we're doing a thing it's going now. down. OK, yeah. all right. Good to know. Appreciate it. You speak emoji. I don't speak emoji. I'm learning. I'm learning, though, because when I go into the clubhouse and I I find a guy from Emoji, I want to be able to speak Emoji with him, you know, like an international signee kind of thing. The Braves have got Marcel Ozuna as well. Here's what I think is really interesting uh, about some of the White Sox moves here with uh, Carlos Rodon, with Jerry Naren, with Jonathan Lucroy, all in various states of reporting now with the White Sox. I want to talk about Carlos a little bit to start things. I understand that Carlos Rodon was kind of the locus of some things that went wrong late in the season for the White Sox. I, you know, Ricky Renteria, who was managing the team then, obviously wanted to try and use Carlos in some big leverage situations, and unfortunately for Carlos and White Sox, um, it didn't work out against the Oakland days. And whether that was, you know, managed in a way that could have been done better, or whether that was something that was You know, accelerated into play because of an injury to Garrett Crochet in that game. We don't really know. But what we do know, and I think what's important to to point out, is that Rodon was touching 96 up into that last outing, his last couple of times out. And what has always been key for Carlos has been health. He's gutted it out through a handful of injuries. Not just the big ones that have popped up, you know, obviously having gone through Tommy John and then some shoulder cleanup kind of stuff, but some smaller ones as well. I've always enjoyed talking with Carlos. I, I like talking pitching with him. He's got a mindset that's pretty impressive, at least it, it was to me, the chances that that he and I have had a chance to talk a little bit. Um, he's a guy out there. I mean, he, is, he, he wants to fight through things. And there's something to be said for a pitcher who has that mentality, who has that willingness, who has that, you know, I, I don't want to be too – too dramatic about it but it, it, there's like a selflessness to it right because you're out there the team isn't you're the only guy there you've got to do this for the team I, I think that matters i truly do what matters more maybe most outside of health for carlos is going to be fastball command and that's where our guest at nine thirty-five is going to feature in quite a bit carlos now gets hopefully uh, and, and for the White Sox, for him, for Ethan, for Tony Russo, all these kinds of things. He gets to hit the reset button without having to full on hit the reset button. You know what I'm talking about? Like if you had like the, the Super Nintendo back in the day or the 64 or whatever and you wanted to rage quit. But instead of like slapping the power button all the way off and then booting the thing back on and then maybe risking some sort of like weird pixelated thing. I know I'm dating myself like who played an N64, right? But You'd throw it back on and maybe it wouldn't load properly and like okay, I, 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 I switched the thing off too quickly. I got real mad. Uh, maybe I should have just hit the reset button instead of flipping the power off and then back on. That's what I'm talking about. It's not a perfect analogy, but I wanted to make a Nintendo analogy, so I did. I think what's gonna be good and in 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 reading about and kind of talking with with Ethan Katz some is that there are a a, a number of kind of mechanical changes that are getting made to a lot of guys, a lot of shortening of arm swings, a lot of tightening of, of position and posture, I guess in, in, um, in mechanics of delivery that have proven to get guys a better sense of consistent command. And I'm not you know I'm not saying it's proven because I've seen it. It's proven because Ethan Katz was sought after. By the White Sox. By, I would imagine, other organizations as well. Hint, hint. But there is a reason that these kind of fixes or these kind of alterations to mechanics are sought after right now in Major League Baseball because it leads to better results. So now you've got Carlos Rodon toward the back end of the rotation. You figure Michael Kopech will likely have restraints of some kind on him come spring training. You know, they're going to monitor his innings. I, I don't know. I, I've been trying to think of a, a precedent for a pitcher who had gone through Tommy John and then through some sort of non-injury circumstance, you know, like the pandemic, sat out the following season. And I, for the life of me, I, I just can't think of anything that's all that similar. There are guys who have missed two full years Due to Tommy John, Daniel Hudson comes to mind or or at least most of two full years. But that's all injury rehab stuff. Kopech had, you know, the Tommy John surgery and then had the requisite rehab, which is grueling, then sat out a year because of the pandemic. So it's it's difficult to kind of understand. And I'm sure the White Sox have a handle on it because they're working with him just about every day or at least Ethan Katz is, you know, seeing the, the film and and talking with his charges. But it's difficult to kind of understand what it is that he'll need to get back into the full swing of things, to get back into pitching a you know a full four, five, six, seven innings, whatever it's going to be. So you figure with a limit or restrictions on Kopech, that leaves Carlos Rodon to kind of compete with Reynaldo Lopez for that fifth starter spot coming out of spring. Which, in terms of depth, you know, you look at what the White Sox had rotation wise without Carlos kind of pushing for a five spot. You look at what they had with Carlos pushing for a five spot. I like more depth. We've talked a lot on White Sox Weekly about how the rotation, at least for me, is so much more than five guys. Six, seven, eight even. I mean, shoot, look at what the team that just signed Trevor Bauer for $40 million have. They've got a bunch of pitching depth at the starting level. Um, and I think that's something that can be mimicked. That's something you that can be applied to a lot of different teams hopefully for a lot of different success. Speaking of success, there are two youngsters. The White Sox have control of that figure to be uh figure to be a big part, I think, of the White Sox overall success. Certainly there's the core, but then there are these two fellas, Andrew Vaughn and Garrett Crochet, that could help be uh, kind of that that extra push that helps fill out the White Sox in 2021. You're going to hear from Chris Getz, assistant general manager and player development man uh, with the White Sox on Andrew Vaughn and on Garrett Crochet when we come back. We're broadcasting the first Midwest Bank State Street Studios. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly.
1: This is Chicago's home for sports.
2: The new home of the White Sox.
1: ESPN
0: 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. <laughs>
2: This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight, Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach coming up in 15 minutes. 9:35. you'll hear from Ethan Katz had a conversation with him yesterday. We'll bring it back for you today. You can watch the show on Twitch, twitch.tv. Just search ESPN 1000 Chicago. Hello to all of you Twitchers. Uh, one of the Twitchers, whose name I just can't read. It's a bunch of letters and numbers, as most names are. He asked about the difference between, or I guess the balance, between Jonathan Lucroy and Zach Collins. We mentioned on the top of the show, at the top of the show, rather, that Jonathan Lucroy has reportedly been added to the White Sox roster on a minor league deal, and then he'll also get an invite to spring training. I I like this question because it kind of ties a bunch of news items together. Jerry Nairn, who White Sox fans may remember, helped out James McCann quite a bit with his framing and overall defensive work in the last offseason, has been brought on uh, as a uh, full-time catching instructor. Boy, if he was doing everything, that'd be something else. Full-time catching instructor for the White Sox. He's going to be working with guys like Collins. He helped Jonathan Lucroy back in, I want to say it was 14 with Lucroy's highest MVP finish, his highest framing numbers finish, all this kind of stuff when when he was with the Milwaukee Brewers. So Naren will, you know, that's, he was a big reason that Luke Roy was interested in the minor league invite from the White Sox in the first place. The White Sox could use an injection of some catching depth, perhaps. Collins is, you know, he's played a little bit, but somewhat untested, especially behind the plate. There's other catchers in the organization. Your main Mercedes too, but the defensive reputation of those guys isn't quite as high as you might want for a for a guy that's going to be the backup. You know, you want that guy to make sure he's got the defense on lockdown. At least in my opinion, there's other ways to do it, but have the defense on lockdown and then work the rest of it through. So, yeah, you know, I I think Collins is really going to get. I, I would imagine Collins gets as even a nod to breaking camp with this roster. And that's with the caveat, and I'll I'll be quite honest with this. I still don't know how many roster spots teams are going to get. And I understand that there is a, you know, right now an agreed upon number, or at least, you know, in in the air quotes, right, an agreed upon number. But we've seen this pandemic affect baseball and the union before. We've seen them add playoff teams and roster spots and everything. So I'm not going to tell you that there's something that's, complete and concrete in terms of roster size but I can tell you that it's I would say more likely than not that a guy like Collins is going to get a good crack at things and and potentially be a backup catcher good to have Jonathan Lucroy around though because that's a guy who defensively has an understanding of of Naren's teachings so even though Lucroy you know is a little bit older and has had the defense kind of flag off a little bit lately he's he's a guy that you can kind of you know, push in. Assume is a little bit healthy with a lighter workload last season, to be sure. And you know, maybe you catch something there. Maybe he's feeling healthy. Maybe he's got himself set. Definitely, he can help that kind of line of communication from Naren to Collins with Grandal. You know, all those kind of defensive minds help, especially when it comes to um, when it comes to teaching a skill set that might be Collins's. Weakest, the the defensive backstop kind of thing. Hey, yeah, he might DH. He might get some first base hits, uh, first base work as well. Uh, but I would imagine catching is where he's going to get the bulk of his time if he does, in fact, crack the roster. Like I think he might. Um, I, I want to get to one quick piece of audio here before we take a break and then talk with Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, and you'll hear the rest of it when we come back as well. Chris Getz had a press conference yesterday, Thursday rather, and talked a bit about the minor league assignments, four guys talked a bit about the expectations for some of the young and bigger prospects the White Sox have. I will play you a a quick bit here before we take a break on a guy that many White Sox fans have asked questions about and who we won't talk about with Ethan Katz because Andrew Vaughn's a hitter and Ethan Katz won't be working with Andrew Vaughn all that much. So Chris Getz has the say on the expectations and possible placement for Andrew Vaughn when the season starts.
1: What separates Andrew is his mentality, his makeup, how under control he is in the box. Um, you know his his discipline uh, to sticking with an approach that works for his swing. Uh, you know we we witnessed it in in major league camp last year with the at bats that he was putting together. You know, certainly, uh, it was unfortunate that we weren't able to, to send him off to an affiliate, but we were lucky to get him at the alternate site and get a significant amount of at bats against very good competition, perhaps against pitchers that he wouldn't have faced uh, had he gone to a uh, had an assignment like Double A Birmingham. We, he was facing, you know, uh, major league pitching in summer camp, um, and then at the alternate site, we had upper level pitchers there. Um, and and guys that had spent time uh, in the major leagues. So uh, and and you know I know we talked last fall. He was certainly one of the more consistent hitters that we had there. Um, he's got a very sound approach at the plate, and we feel like you know that's going to translate very well at the big leagues when he's asked to, to to perform at that level. So Vinny
2: Duber of NBC Sports Chicago, I believe, put it to Getz. Is he, is Vaughn going to help this season?
1: Based on what we've seen with Andrew Vaughn since he's been part of the organization, um, and you know, I anticipate he's going to carry that same approach that has made him successful not only as an amateur but you know throughout his time here. Um, you know, I would imagine that you know with the amount of success that he's had, and will probably in spring training, that he'll be in position to uh, to to be that DH or be on the major league club. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if that question's asked and I, and certainly share with them that he's ready to, to help this team.
2: Interesting stuff from Chris gets. We will hear from Ethan Katz, the white Sox pitching coach. When we come back, this is white Sox weekly on ESPN 1000. Welcome to white Sox weekly on ESPN 1000.
0: Chicago's home for sports is the new home. The new home of the White Sox.
2: Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Our guest this morning is Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach. Appreciate you joining us this morning, Ethan. Thanks so much. How are you feeling? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So what is the job like for you next week and the week after? What is quite literally, on your to-do list as teams in the White Sox specifically are getting ready for what we think is going to be spring training?
0: Uh, right now, it's basically just finalizing things at home, uh, taking care of family, make sure my kids and my wife are in a good place before I leave, um, with also being able to make sure all the pitchers are on track for what their workload's going to be come the first day of spring training. Um, other than that, like, We're everything. The ball has been rolling. Everybody's in a good spot. So it's just making sure that everything is right on time. And so when we start, everyone knows exactly what they need to be doing.
2: Are you guys building in as much as you can some leeway for for uncertainty? I mean, after all, this pandemic has affected everyone. It has affected plans for everything, regardless of how important we all think we are. I, I would imagine you have some things built in to allow for the unforeseen.
0: For sure. I mean, I really hope that there isn't, but if there is, then, you know, we get we get sort of stop it say, or there's a day we miss because if something happens and we'll, we'll plan accordingly. But for right now, I, I really hope things do stay on track because things have been mapped out to make sure the starters stay on track to start the season um, and get the proper workload to be able to get the ball rolling and, and guys can go out there and be able to throw 100 pitches on on day one.
2: So, Sox fans are well aware of your connection with Lucas Gilito going all the way back to high school. I, I wonder, Ethan, did you guys or did opponents have a nickname for that three-headed monster of a rotation that you had with with Lucas and Max and Jack all pitching at the same time?
0: Uh, I I wouldn't say they. I knew. I think teams were very aware of how good uh, they, they, that that they were and, and where things were going with the future. I don't think anyone expected to be. Watching three, three like frontline big leaguers, you know, during that current time, because all of them were very young, and there's a lot of obstacles that still need to happen for their growth and development. But you definitely saw a huge future for all three of them. But they they were very, they were very 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 good in high school, no doubt about it. But <laughs> I don't think you could project three, you know, Cy young candidates each year, you know. So, uh, yeah, you, but they well, they were very very
2: intimidating. You you put it as frontline guys. I mean. These three are frontline, frontline, frontline guys. You know what I'm saying? Like these guys are top ten list yeah. guys. These guys are like on the highlight reel of MLB Network guys.
0: Yeah, they're they're in a good place. They're <sighs> all three of them are in a good place, and they've you know they've had a lot of success at a very very young age, and the, the future for all three of them is still extremely extremely bright. And they're still trying to get better, so it's gonna be a it's gonna you're gonna see their faces for a long time.
2: I want to ask you something, Ethan, talk with Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach here on White Sox Weekly. I want to ask you something that I saw a lot on Twitter when the news of your hiring came around. A lot of White Sox fans just kind of said, or the sentiment was, oh, well, as long as he does what he did with Lucas Giolito, everybody's going to be fine. What's right and what's wrong about that sentiment from your position, from coaching pitchers, from really knowing what mechanics are and, and what they can be?
0: I mean, uh- The one thing is, is that I've really tried to pride myself with any pitcher I've ever come across at any single level is really try to connect with them and get the most out of their ability and work it tirelessly to achieve that. Will that become what the years that, you know, you've seen from Lucas? I have no idea. But it also with the work that I will put in for them is also the work they're going to put in for themselves. And right now guys are really working hard to be able to maximize their ability. Um, And, you know, we'll see where it goes. Um, You know, they're going to get everything out of me every day. Um, Every day. I know um, I will be there hundred percent focused, trying to get everything out of them to try to get them better. And I really hope they all take huge step forward. And everybody looks and says like, these guys are really, really, really building, but how, how much are they going to be Lucas Giolito? I mean, that that was a pretty amazing turnaround. And I really hope we can look back and say five years from now, all these guys took some big step forward and, you know, they're headed in the right direction and they've created their own path.
2: Ethan, you were drafted twice, uh, first by the M's and then the Mariners, rather, and then the Rockies in 2005. What was your pitch mix at the time, you know, coming into the Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball as a draftee? And does your pitch mix, you know, what you threw influence the way you developed a coaching style at all?
0: Um, I I would say a little bit, Um, you know, I was a fastball slider guy, probably slider being the best of the, all my, my pitches. Um, I was was four pitches early on. Then I became more of a reliever. So it was more fastball slider with a sprinkle of a changeup. But the slider was always the pitch. So like when, when I first got into coaching, you know, finding guys who had the right arm slot uh, to like Jack Flaherty, for instance, like we really gravitated um, to the teachings of, uh, of the slider that, you know, I threw when I was a player, but it, 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 it definitely varies for, for each guy, but how, how, guys develop their pitches or, or, or a lot has to do with how they move and where their arm action is and what they can do. But it, it it was very easy early on for me to kind of find guys that can throw sliders and really want to teach guys that. And now, you know, over time I've been able to kind of expand a little bit further on that.
2: Was there a moment for you in your coaching career where the the light clicked on and, and you thought, oh, man, Ethan, you, you can do this in the bigs? I don't.
0: I mean, it takes a lot of luck um, to get to where I am today, and I'm very fortunate. I've caught a lot of breaks, but I, I never really. One thing I've always believed: everything happens for a reason. I've never tried to look too far ahead on anything. When I have, it never really has worked out. I just always have focused on the current moment and trying to get the the most out of the players because I love working with guys and seeing them get better. And I just knew if I just continue that path, things would work out. One day would work out. I had, I had no idea, but I really wanted to just make sure I was there for players, giving them my all, showing them that I was there for them and growing those relationships, growing them as pitchers. And let's see where it kind of plays out. And if I didn't enjoy it, then I would probably think about a different career path, but I I love what I do. And I've been fortunate enough to kind of keep moving along year by year and You know, now I'm here. So, you know, I'm grateful for that.
2: Ethan, what's your process like when you try when you go to filter and and even correlate your own scouting reports and and pitch data and, you know, target data, all that kind of stuff that that you guys as an organization are going to do and meld that with some of the outside, some of the third party stuff that. We've heard a lot about with Lucas and with uh, with a number of different pitchers throughout the league. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the kind of data that they've gone outside to go find and bring into their ability to win games.
0: I mean, I'm I'm open to anything. If, if there's information that guys are comfortable with, I support that. Um, I will work with them to be able to make them feel comfortable. So when 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 they're on the mound, you know, we, we get the best version of them. So whatever that is, like we're building out a nice process that I really believe in um, here. And I will share that information. And, and if they like some other information that they're getting, they really believe in that, then I will look over that and support them with that. And we go, you know, it's all about what we get on the mound um, every single day. And wherever the pitcher feels the most comfortable is probably the best version that we'll get of them. And that's where I want to be able to see them. And I'm sure that's where, They want to be as well.
2: Earlier in the show, Ethan, we were uh, talking about the reports that are out that uh, Jerry Naren is going to sign on with the White Sox as a catching instructor and reports that Jonathan Lucroy has a deal. I won't make you break news on that. I'm not looking to get you in trouble with anybody. Just as a hypothetical, though, if the White Sox hired a catching instructor of, of any name or repute, how would you like to work with that guy? How do you want to work with catchers as a pitching coach for the White Sox in 21?
0: Well, I mean, the, the, it, it's, a, it's a great, you know, having a, having somebody that can work with catchers on a day-to-day basis is a huge, huge asset because there's a lot that goes on to it um, from, you know, the receiving part to the throwing part to the game calling. There, there's a lot that goes on for that. You know, that's a very, 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 very important position so having somebody that you know solely focused on that, we had that in San Francisco, and it, it really, really helps uh, when I was there. And being able to have that, you know, will take some stuff off my plate. But it, but also, it will also help with the development. You know, for all our catchers, we have a lot of young guys as well. And you know, having veteran presence um, is always great as well because they have been through a lot. So, you know, I, I really look, I look forward to having somebody that can be able to do that and. Jerry, um, you know, he I've heard nothing but rave reviews from him about him. So I'm really looking forward to kind of learning some stuff from him because he's, he's been in the game in a bunch of different ways. And, you know, picking his mind, seeing what he might have to say and what he can bring to the table will only help us.
2: No doubt. That's a, that's a dude who knows his stuff. That's the major league report on Jerry Naron, if, if, you know, if reports are, are accurate. Um, <laughs> Ethan, the question that I've gotten most since doing White Sox Weekly a couple of, uh, I don't know, about a month ago now, is what is the plan for Garrett Crochet? And I, I think it's kind of a funny question to get. I mean, obviously, it's because of the stuff he has, because of the impact he had when he did pitch in 2020, because of the playoff game and everything. But it's also funny to me because you and, and Rick Hahn and, and just about everybody else has kind of talked about what the plan is for Garrett Crochet many, many times. I I wonder if... You guys have changed a plan at all? If you guys have changed how you talk with him at all, given the fact that you know he's the focus of so much attention, he's he's there in um, oh gosh, what was it? The uh, MLB pipeline, best tools in the minors, he's he's up there for the best fastball, all that kind of stuff. Does it does it kind of make sense to you that there's all this conversation about Garrett, given the fact that you guys, or even despite the fact that you guys have been pretty upfront with where the plan is?
0: I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, he's one of the you know, one of the best arms in baseball. Uh, so it's just trying, it's try, trying to find what's best for him because, you know, if you look at his workload going, you know, for the last three years, say like they the most he's pitched is about 70 innings. And so being able to be smart about it, to try to keep him healthy with the, you know, also helping our organization win ballgames is, is the best thing for him. And, You know, he can't go out there and pitch every single five days and throw five, six, seven innings, or you won't be seeing him later in the season. So just trying to find a way to be able to be really smart with him. He's young, he got up there quickly, and being able to take care of him from a health standpoint and a developmental standpoint is very important for the future of what we might see from him.
2: The White Sox have brought Carlos Rodon back on a one-year deal. Obviously, you, know, you you mentioned earlier that you were a slider guy that that kind of fit you. I remember watching Carlos' slider coming out of college, and my goodness, what do, I mean, obviously, it's it's one of the better sliders, left-handed sliders in baseball. What's your focus with Carlos? What has your conversation with him been like uh, as he's back with the organization? Well, really, truly, never left, but uh, with the organization for the twenty-one campaign
0: it's just been going over kind of what, what can we do? There's some stuff that um, early when I got the job, I I saw mechanically that we can kind of clean up a little bit. Um, And so just getting him on track with that and kind of going over those thoughts again um, and, and basically giving him an opportunity to come in and, and, and show all the work he's done up to this point, but, but being healthy, you know, he hasn't had a chance to really be healthy and, we all know if he's healthy that's a very special arm so being healthy number one and then like you know cleaning some stuff up mechanically which will also probably help to his health and and see where he can take this i mean it's it's i'm really looking forward to seeing how much he can contribute this year cuz you know when he is on the mound we should get some really good results
2: is there is there a point at which you you look at pitchers not necessarily carlos but look at pitchers and go okay this is like a, a total rebuild kind of thing versus subtle changes or, or minor alterations. I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, obviously Lucas Giolito's rehaul and re, revamp of his mechanics. Those are big, drastic changes. Are those things that – is making those sweeping changes something that can work for – work across the board for pitchers?
0: No, I mean, I think it, there's a lot that goes on to it. Like, I, I don't think it's ever fair – for any coach to just look at somebody and just say that that's not it. You know, that you got to fix this, do this, do this. I think there's a lot more to it. Uh, I like to take a step back and kind of, yeah, I might have some thoughts initially by seeing it, but you know, I want to hear from the player. Maybe they're trying to do something that, you know, that's why it looks that way. They might've, you know, they might have some limitations physically and that's why it looks that way. So there's a lot to it. Uh, When it comes to watching a a delivery or, or wanting to make a change, like every, I think every coach wants to jump in and help. That's, that's why you coach is to help, help guys get better. But sometimes stepping back and kind of understanding the why, and this is why he does this. This is why it looks like that. Maybe he's not ready for that information, build that relationship. Then you can kind of come in and kind of, um, you know, tell them what's on your mind and see if there's another path that I can be able to achieve what ultimately you might be thinking.
2: Ethan, what is your favorite piece of pitching coaching technology? What is your least favorite? <laughs> um,
0: I, I that's a hard question. I, I mean, I res- like I respect everything. I really do. If there's if there's something that Uh, that that can connect with a player because every player is different every personality is different and they gravitate to a certain thing then i will try to accommodate that player and try to use that information the one common thing that guys tend to really make good adjustments quick adjustments with is with cameras um they see it uh they they you tell them what they're what they're doing and then they they piece it together pretty quickly so you know I like to use my, my my cell phone. I'll walk around on the field when guys are throwing, and I'll videotape things and show them right out the, right away. And then in the bullpen, but that that's typically, I guess you can say, is my favorite type of way of kind okay. of communicating with guys um, because it has no language. Um, they see it and they fix it, um, and it's amazing to like you know, even when there's a language barrier, how guys can piece things together when they see things. Um, so I mean, it it, it varies, but I'm, I'm I love, I'm trying to get more involved and deep into like the biomechanics and see how players are getting a little bit more interested in that and kind of gathering more information from there and seeing how we can apply it and use it in a better way.
2: Last one for you, Ethan. When the three batter minimum was put into Major League Baseball, what was the, was there any one thing that you or, or the rest of the coaching staff that you were with at the time thought, okay, we need to change this about how we Deploy, look at, organize our our pitching efforts.
0: Uh, yeah, it definitely did. I mean, you have to be a little bit more strategic, uh, just so to be to be able to for matchup purposes. So you can you don't you know you you know if you have a lefty that gets does really well against lefties, if he's coming in with two outs and there's two lefties coming up, you're really banking on him getting those lefties and not have to face the righty possibly. Mm-hmm. So there, there's ways. You know, and if that does happen, knowing what what the you know what the numbers say and what their matchup is, if he does have to face that right hander, you know, so there's a lot of planning and, and thought that goes on uh, before the inning starts, or you know, forecasting what it might look like using these guys at this point, and, and, and kind of seeing um, what's the best matchup for each guy. If we do get in a predicament where guys do have to face three guys and the inning doesn't end after two hitters, you know, stuff like that. But there's a lot of planning that goes on.
2: Ethan, really appreciate the time. Great talking with you, and uh, hopefully we get to catch up at some point soon at a ballpark near us.
0: That sounds great. I look forward to that.
2: That's Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach here on White Sox Weekly. We'll be back to finish the show next. ESPN 1000. This
0: is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new
2: ESPN Chicago app.
0: White Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000.
1: Chicago's home for sports.
2: Closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Connor McKnight. This is ESPN 1000. MLB.com put out the top 10 right now at every position throughout Major League Baseball. I thought it was notable for a handful of different reasons. There's a lot of White Sox on these lists. That's why. Tim Anderson finished. This is you know it's a little subjective. They run it through the shredder. They they have the uh, I think Mike Petriello and Sarah Langs were two of the uh, writers slash analysts who put together lists as well. Uh, Tim Anderson finished tenth in shortstops. You had another White Sox, Jose Abreu, finish four at first baseman. Freddie Freeman, Goldschmidt, Luke Voigt were the top three first basemen. Left fielders Aloy Jimenez finished seventh catching of a drum roll there it's always the, d- the debate JT Real Muto or Yasmani Grandal who's the best out there Real Muto got the nod Yasmani Grandal finished second this is top 10 right now relievers Liam Hendricks number one and Aaron Bummer number eight that's pretty good to have two on that list I you know one of the things that excites me I think the most about this White Sox season is the bullpen and just how darn good they could be. Follow us on our new Twitter handle at ESPN White Sox. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's almost as handsome as Patrick Boyle. Almost. It's close. It's very we're trying our best. Speaking of Pat, he and Brian Hanley are up next with the hockey show. Stan Bowman, GM of the Blackhawks, gonna be on the show at ten thirty five. I'm Connor McKnight. Thanks for listening to White Sox Weekly.